We're in a mini-series on transformation, which is the whole act of God changing lives, and God is in the change business. The Bible has given us not so much for our information, but for our transformation. When we encounter this book, it's not to just fill up our minds, but to change who we are. And, and God often gives us word pictures for us to understand his truth or to remind us of truth, and we've just participated in that with the communion table. Uh, but C.S. Lewis is a, a favorite author of many Christians and has written some uh, rather theological books, but he's also written some children's books that speak the same truths in pictorial ways, and particularly his, his Chronicles of Narnia, which in many ways uh, chronicle the adventure of uh, four uh, children, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, in their encounter with the living God. And probably the most familiar of that group of books within the Chronicles of Narnia is The Lion, the Witch, and the, and the Wardrobe, and which started their adventure. And The Lion, obviously, uh, if you've seen that, it's now been made into a movie, or maybe you've read the books, really pictures who God is. And as you think about a lion, it would seem to, to do well in terms of describing the God of this universe as being all-powerful and almighty. Uh, and in that uh, whole rendering of encountering the living God, there's some word pictures that are very helpful for us to kind of understand who God is and how he works. And in the Prince uh, Caspian section of his uh, revealing of this spiritual journey, you have Lucy, who's the, the youngest child, and she has been somewhat desperate to see Aslan, who's the name of the lion, great lion that pictures God. And in many ways, that kind of describes our journey, too. Sometimes we feel God's very near, and sometimes we feel God is very far away. And God never moves, but sometimes he reveals himself in different ways in terms of his intimacy, and sometimes he wants us to recognize that that we do not control him, he's to control us. And so Lucy's been waiting to see Aslan, and all of a sudden the encounter with Aslan happens, and she cries out, Aslan, Aslan, dear Aslan, sobbed Lucy, at last. And the great beast rolled over on his side so that Lucy fell, half sitting and half lying between his front paws. And you see this intimacy between this child and this great, strong, awesome being. Uh, his, his, he bent forward, Aslan, and just touched her nose with his tongue in an, an endearing way. His warm breath came all around her. She gazed up into his large, wise face and eyes. And then he speaks, Aslan the lion. Welcome, child, he said. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. And he responds this way. This is because you are older, little one, answered he. Well, not because you are bigger and older. No, I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. When you think about God, how how big is your God? And for some, it's how small is your God? But as we grow older and hopefully closer, we will begin to see God who never changes. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. It's not that he gets bigger. We just see him as bigger because he is big. He's immense. He's all-powerful. He can do anything and everything. 
And when we come to a series like Transformation, when we're looking at how God does what he does, which is change us, sometimes we will get caught up in, well, I don't think God's big enough to change me for whatever reason. And the two extremes are this. One extreme is that you might have come to the point where you feel, you know, I've messed up so many times. I've rebelled from his voice and his ways in such demonstrative ways. I, I have fallen, fallen to the depths of certain lifestyles and, and, and I've ignored or just I've ignored him for so many years, decades. Why, why, would, he, why would he bother with me? And some, some people, as they look at God, they feel God's not big enough to take someone who is as messed up as they are, either by indifference or by choice. Why would God bother with them? And I just want to submit to you that God's big enough for anyone in that category. And on the other extreme is the person who doesn't see themselves as that bad, but they see themselves as good enough. And good enough people are saying, well, you know, you know, God doesn't need to bother me because I'm already almost there right now. And he doesn't need to change me. And we need to understand that no matter what part of that you know, spectrum you're in, no matter what, what part of that journey you're in, whether you feel you're too bad for God to, to even want to change you, or you're good enough already, is that God is not finished with you yet. And for some of us, we need to take that first step. And some of us, we need to keep, keep taking steps to really grow closer and and, and more intimate with this God who is ginormous in terms of his capabilities to, to, to reach down and touch us in tender ways as well as some tough ways that need to, to be course changed in our journey with him. Well, we started last week with how it all begins. It all begins with starting with that first step. And we've kind of portrayed it with what we have here on the stage. We have behind me a an auto shop, and in an auto shop, what you do is you take cars that need to be fixed. And if you ever, have you ever had the experience of uh, maybe being in a car crash, or maybe you've known someone to be in a car crash, and they, they notify their insurance agent, and they're expecting that somehow they'll get some resources to, to, get, to get the car repaired, but after they analyze the, the vehicle, they find out that the vehicle's been totaled? And they, they feel there's no hope for that car, and they'll just give you whatever depreciated money on the vehicle, and you have to find out somehow, get a different car. Not a new car, but a different car. Well, we need to recognize that what, what we did last week is we said it all begins by recognizing that we, we have totaled our car. We've totaled our life before we come to know God. There's really no hope apart for something miraculous happening so that we can get back on the road. And when we think about it, it all begins with understanding that what is really important is not how the car looks on the outside, but how it looks on the what? The inside. And so what we did this last week, and you might not be well aware of it, but what we actually did is we, we dropped a new engine into this vehicle. Have you ever uh, done some restoring on a vehicle? I'm not that particularly handy on, uh, on uh, car repairs, but... Uh, my oldest son, uh, Tim, was going off to college, and he, he didn't have a vehicle. And I had some people in, in the community I was in. They said, well, you ought to go to a car auction, and you ought to, ought to buy one off, you know, off the lot. And then maybe you can restore it. And they kind of talked to me because they're saying, you can get a really good deal. So I went down there, and I spent, the, I, I spent a lot of money. I spent 350 bucks on a car, right, $350. And I had a neighbor who was pretty handy, and he said, will you help me restore this vehicle? And so we, every night, you know, after I got done with stuff at church, you know, we'd go in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, my garage, and we, to late, 
early you know, morning hours, we would just work on it. We'd sand everything. We would, we would uh, put primer on it. We would repair all the cracks in it. We, we just spent endless hours making this car that looked horrible on the outside to get ready to put on the road. Well, we actually did a pretty good job on that part, looking, doing some repair on, on what, how that car looked. But that car only lasted about three and a half months because we spent a lot more time on the outside and really neglected what, what was on the inside. And so I want to just rehearse what we said last week. It all begins at the beginning. And, and just like David understood in his experience with God, what, what God wants is not so much what looks on the outside, but he wants a broken and contrite heart. Our heart that's open to say, God, you need to come in and change me on the inside. And there's a promise. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new, what? Creation, a new creature. And in case you don't get the depth of that, it says the old things have passed away, but new things have come. And and what that vehicle that I tried to restore in 2002 or whatever it was, it, it didn't need, and we did work on the engine. But it didn't need work on the engine. It needed a new engine. And, and so hopefully this morning you've come and you've come to that place in your life where you recognize, God, you, you need to change me completely on the inside. And you met your need. You turn from your sin. You believe that Jesus Christ fully paid the price for your sin and rose again. And then you make that eternal commitment. I commit to give my life to Jesus Christ as the leader, Lord of my life and Savior. And as simple as that is, it's just the ABCs of the gospel. It's not easy because you say, I give you, I give you completely con- complete control of my life. Change me on the inside. Give me a new heart in Jesus Christ. But, but once that first step happens, th- then God now wants us to take us out of the garage and get us moving. And if you were here last week, you can see some repairs are being done. We, we, we've now you know, taped it off, and there's going to be a paint job in this car, and the, the wheels have been taken off, and they're going to be repaired. And, and there's some things that, that God is doing on this vehicle. And, and, and there's a process that is going on. And, and God is in the process of us uh, changing us in so many different ways. And, and until we see him face to face, it's an ongoing journey where he's, he's pounding on some things and chipping some things away and, and taping us off where, where things have to be covered so that we can become more like we were intended to be. God had created us in his image. We've marred that with our sin, and, and now he's, he's given us a whole new paint job on, on the outside to, for us to live for him. And, and that just brings us to the key passage that we have this morning. If you have your outline, it'll help you, help you follow along. Uh, there, there's two that really speak powerfully about the transformation process. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that we all, with unfailed faith, Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed or changed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So it's an ongoing from one level to another level. And then the real key passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we'll just read the first part. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, last week, and particularly in your Bible studies this week, we encourage you to, okay, well, what, what if I wake up one morning, I'm not too motivated. You know, I'm not really in to living out fully and completely for God. 
Well, God's a great motivator, and he says, okay, what I'm calling you to do after you've made that step to give your life to me, I'm just reminding you to, to remember what I have done for you and continue to do for you. And we said last week, before chapter 12, there's how many chapters before chapter 12? 11. And in those 11 chapters, he just announces all kinds of things he's done for us. And we looked, at, looked in, your, in your Bible study last week, just things from every chapter. But beginning of chapter 1, it says, you know, God has given the power for everyone who believes to come to him to be saved. Which means you're not a hopeless case. And, and no one you care about is a hopeless case. God's power is sufficient to bring people to faith and relationship to him. And there's so many other things he says. He says, I, he says, I want you to understand what kind of God you serve and give your life to. He's a kind God. He's a good God. That's what leads us to repentance. He, he, he talks about that, that God is a forgiving God. In fact, he has, he has certain accounting principles that he uses to, to, to evaluate our lives. Those accounting principles, he, he looks at all the things we owe him, all the debt because of our sin, and he wipes it what? He wipes it clean. I was sharing in the, some of the life groups I had, you know, when I get in an argument with somebody and I want to win the argument and I, and I want to use every, every issue I can to somehow get my point across, uh, usually I don't get that emotion. I don't get hysterical, but I sure do get historical, you know. And what I do is I bring up everything that they've done in the past and just lay it out so I can somehow just push my agenda. But, you know, when God looks at our lives, he doesn't get historical or hysterical. He says, I want you to know that when, when I looked at your sins and, and Jesus went to the cross, I paid that debt in full. He no longer holds it into an account. And there are so many other things we can look at as far as what God has done for us. He's given us his love. He's given us his peace. He's given us his hope. He, he says that he's on our side. You know, they're, they're, you know the, have you noticed, uh, ladies, the NFL season has started for the, those of you who have become, you know, football um, widows, you know, during this year, you know, during this period of the year, is that there's only, you can have the best player in the league, but if he doesn't have good members of the team on his team, there's no way for them to win. And as you look about, who, who would you want to have on your side than anybody else? Who's your number one drafts choice? And, and it's God. God's on your side. And if God's on your side, who do you care is against us? And on and on and on, he talks about he's the source of every good thing that we have in our life. He is in control when life seems to be out of control. That he is a God that we can trust because he's an awesome and great God. But as he brings us to that point of saying, look, this is a place you want to bring your life to get repaired. And not only to be repaired, to be restored. This is a place you can come to and, and trust. Have you uh, ever had a mechanic that you only went to once? Anybody ever had that? Too many times, all right? You know, you, 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 you come in a new community and someone say, hey, does anybody have a good mechanic? You send that car, you're, you know, someone, maybe a neighbor or a friend says, well, you got to try that one down there. You take it and, and they do a horrible job on your vehicle. Well, you, you never go back a second time, do you? Well, as we think about God, God is that, that the mechanic. That, he's got that auto shop. They say, I want to return to this place for repairs because he can be trusted. And so he motivates us to, to get to that point. But now he starts to meddle in our lives. And he says, okay, now, now that we've talked about the heart, now, what's next? And, and now he talks about that he wants us to give him not what's on the inside. We've already done that, but now what's on the 
outside. And so he says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. To present your bodies to God. And then he goes on and explains what that means. But before we get that, I just want to kind of review where we've been and where we're going to go. God wants us to be transformed or changed in four ways. One, in our heart. Secondly, in our body. Thirdly, in our mind. And then fourthly, in our will. But we're going to talk about this morning is, is how do you give your bod to God? You think, why would God want my body? Well, he, he created it. He made it. Well, how, how does God want you to give your bod to God? Well, uh, there are four ways, and it's right out of the text. So this is, this is not a preacher trying to look for something that's not there. It's right here in the text. He says, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is a spiritual service of worship. So let me just submit this. How does God want you to give your body to him, your body to him? What, in a living way, in a holy way, in an acceptable way, and in a serving way? Have you ever had a, a project that you would have appreciated somebody to help you with? Okay, maybe it's, ladies, maybe, you know, it's a, it's a big dinner. Maybe it's a Thanksgiving dinner, and you're at that point now. You don't want to do every dish and so you're helping, hoping someone else will bring something. And if, they, they, if they're really available, they'll actually be there to help you with the turkey or the stuffing or whatever it might be. And, and you call up your, your family or your friends who are going to come to the meal. And all of a sudden, they have all kinds of excuses or reasons why they can't help. And then they come up with this beautiful, over, overly spiritual way of saying, it says, well, I can't, I can't be there, but, but I'll be there in spirit. You know, when you need help, and they say they're going to be in there in spirit, what does that mean? Absolutely nothing, okay? Guys, if you need someone to help you, you know, put in a new lawn or repair something, and, and you're, you're needing someone to be there to kind of help you with the project, and, and, and they, you're hoping they're going to say yes, and they say no, but I'll be there with you in spirit. Again, it means absolutely nothing. And, and when we do that with God, and we say, well, uh, and, and how do we do that sometimes? It's with things he wants us to do or to be involved with or, or participate in or to be actively engaged in. And, and, and sometimes we'll tell other Christians, they'll say, well, I can't be there, but I'll be, with, be there with you in spirit. Now, let's be honest. That means absolutely nothing. Now, we can pray, and, and that, that could be a part of what, how we're involved in it. But if, if we don't show up to, to something that needs to be done, and there are pe- people that need to do it, and, and they're there, but we're not there, and, and we just say it's in spirit, God said, hey, take your body there as well. Because everywhere our body goes, our spirit goes with it. And everywhere our spirit goes, our body goes with it as well. In fact, for eternity, we're going to have some kind of body because we're going to have a new body in heaven. So what we do with what covers our spirit, our heart, our soul, what's on the inside, matters to God. Because that is what's supposed to display our faith and our relationship with Him. So as He pleads with them, now because of all that He's done for them, He said, now present your bodies. Well, how are we supposed to present our bodies? In a living way, a living sacrificial way. Now, for the, his, his Jewish readers, there were both Jews and Gentiles in, in Rome, they were thinking, well, this sounds a little bit different. Because normally when I presented something on the altar, 
It was an animal, and what we did on that animal is did what with that animal? We, we killed it. Okay, so what, what I thought God wanted was a, a dead sacrifice. And even back then, really, the dead sacrifice was to actually to be symbolic of a living sacrifice, meaning, okay, I want you to die to yourself so you can now live for me. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says this, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the burnt offering obviously was a dead sacrifice, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than that of the fat of rams. God always wants people to live for him. You know, you know some people are going to be martyrs for the faith. In other words, they're, they're going to give them an opportunity to actually die because of their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But how many times can you be a martyr for God? Once. But every day, you have the opportunity to live for him. And, and that's what God wants. He wants us to say, look, at, you know, I could take you up right now to heaven, but I want you to live here. And as you live here, I, I, I want you to represent me so that people can see me and you and they would want to have what you have. I want you to be a living sacrifice. You know, Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 1, for, for me to live is Christ. So he saw himself as a living sacrifice. But then he didn't end that. He said, but to die is gain. And, and when you think about it, well, you know, if heaven's going to be a much better place here on earth, why don't we just go up now? That would make more sense logically. But, but he goes on and says, there's a reason why I'm supposed to still be here, because I can be a blessing to others. And, and that's what God has called us to do and to be. Sometimes we, we linger for that which com- is coming next. And it's all right to think about the he- heaven and what, what will come in, in the future. But, but live in the moment and take every moment and say, I want to live for you. And how is that done? In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Paul, uh, J- you know, Jesus said this. He said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself daily. Th- that, that's what it means to live for Christ. Is, is look at yourself. Am, am I, if whatever I'm doing, am I just doing it for, for me? Or what, what I value, or am I really living in a way that, that honors God? Where people can see I'm a, I'm a self-giving person. Not give to self, but give self away to others. Just think, uh, when we complain, normally what do we complain about? We complain about something not happening right for me, right? Not for somebody else. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll share that, uh, you know, somebody else's burden. But often we just, we're just so self-absorbed and God says don't live that way live for the cause of Christ with the people around you and, and let them catch that aroma of Christ I don't have time to tell the story but in, in Genesis chapter 22 I, I have the reference there that's the story of, of Abraham offering up Isaac you know, which, which was a tougher sacrifice? Isaac, after a while, figured out, hey, I'm going to be the one put on that altar. But who was going to have to live with it? Abraham would have. That was the bigger commitment. It's always, it's always more challenging to live for Christ than to die for Christ. 
So what kind of sacrifices God want from us as far as giving our bodies to him? A, a living sacrifice. Secondly, he says, a living and holy sacrifice. There's no way to approach God unless you understand that you need to be set apart. You need to be holy in his eyes. That's always been true. Psalm 50, 24, I mean, Psalm 24, 1 through 4 says this. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. For he has founded upon the seas and established upon the rivers. Which means God has everything. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. But he has invited us to enter into a relationship with him. And how do, how do we approach him? Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Now, that's a fancy way to say, who's going to get up there? Who's going to be in the presence of God for eternity? And he defines it this way. And who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. We don't come into God's presence unless we're clean. I mentioned to you that you know, I've had some eye surgery. And essentially, as far as I'm supposed to have eye drops in my eyes all the time throughout the four weeks that I've had the, the the treatment and it's interesting you know they said in the literature and the doctors emphasize now before you put the drops in your eyes make sure you always wash your what hands because that what you think is going to be put in your eye that's supposed to deal with the infections if you have dirty hands those eye drops will do no good for you as we try to approach God through our own medicine plan it's not going to work unless God is clean our hands and our heart. So God wants us to live for him actively, not passively, taking each moment of the day say, how, how can I live in such a way that people can see Jesus in me? And he wants us to understand, okay, one of the ways that's going to look like, it's going to be holy. It's going to be set apart. It's going to be pure. And again, the same idea in Hebrews 12, 14 says this, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification that word could be translated holiness. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, where does that specifically land? Well, there's so many passages we could look at. We'll see some in your Bible study this week. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 18-20 says this. Flee immorality. That's any physical sin, but particularly sexual sin. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Which is another motivation. When we sin physically or sexually, that affects not only the people around us, it's not a victimless crime, but it also affects us on the inside and physically as well. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. Now, you know, that relates to so many parts of our life. You know, it's it's interesting now, athletes have now figured out, which was pretty common sense maybe throughout history, is that what you put into your mouth and your body could affect your performance on the field. And if we were recognized in our bodies that these bodies are for God, what we do with it can either affect us in a positive way or negative way. And with sexual sins, obviously that's, that's so true. And now, you know, we are preoccupied probably within our culture and our church about homosexuality. And, and God has said that's a, a sin that's destructive, but so is adultery. You know, so, so is being unfaithful in a marriage relationship. And, and when I talk to people in any of those areas, or, or taking drugs, or, or whatever it might be, or, or putting harmful substances into your body, 
why do, why do people at any moment in time do that? Because at that moment, they think that's what's going to make them happy. And, and for the, the God follower, the Christ follower, before you ask the question, what's going to make me happy, you ask yourself the question, what's going to make me holy? God is much more concerned that we're holy than we're happy. But you know what happens in that package deal? When we're holy, then we're going to be truly happy. When we do that which is pure, we do that which is right, we do that which God has said, this, this is my plan and will for you. And, and so he's speaking in Rome's day with people had every, everybody could do whatever they wanted. If you read some of the history of Rome, they were, they were experimenting with all kinds of things in terms of lifestyle during that age, just like we are doing today. And so it's pretty radical to say, okay, if you're going to be a, a Christ follower, I want you to understand, I want you to give me your heart, but I want you to give me your body. Because wherever your spirit goes, your body goes as well. In fact, your body is really the temple of the Holy Spirit. So not only where your spirit goes, but where the, if the Holy Spirit is in you, the Holy Spirit goes with you. And, and what you're doing with your body reflects who's in there. And I want people to see me, not the sin of this world. You know, David kind of finally got that. In Psalm 51, which we looked at last week, is what, what does God want? He wants a broken and contrite heart. Which, you know, a broken and contrite heart, I even mentioned last week, what a, con, a contrition or contrite has the idea of being bruised. We've all had times where we feel like we had a broken heart with something happened in our life which, was, which was brought us despair or discouragement or despondency. And that's not a happy experience. But, but when that leads to something better, how much, how much good is that for you? And so David, when he found out that through confrontation that he really had sin, not only against Bathsheba's husband and to Bathsheba, but he had sinned against God. He says, God, I, I want what you want. I want to be holy. But you know what the benefit package included in there? He said, also, I want you to restore the joy of my salvation. So if we're, if we're going to be holy, we'll really will be happy. But if we pursue happiness first, and, and that's usually the first line of defense for anyone who, who comes to me and, and wants to break a clear commandment of God, well, I just want to be happy. I said, well, what about being holy? And you really think this will result in true happiness? But the urgency of the moment often will cause them to go down their path or the world's path rather than God's path. God wants us to be changed on the inside, but then on the outside. And how we give our, our bod to God or how we give God physically ourselves is to do it in a living way and a holy way. And then thirdly, and the last one quickly, in an acceptable way. Do it, do it God's way. Follow his revealed plan. In 1 Corinthians 6.12 it says this, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Anything in your life that becomes addictive, that you just have to have, that's probably just a, 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 a red flag saying, well, if, if you have to have it, then it's controlling you. Get away from it. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23 says, Do you not know that uh, you know, all run, you know, those who compete, but only one runs in a way in order to win? And then he goes on, verse 24, he says, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I can't tell you how many pastors I know, preachers I know, that this should have been the first verse they read every single day because they are no longer in ministry because they could not say no to sexual temptation. And the reason they couldn't say no because they thought it ought to be easy to say no. Paul said, look, I buffet my body. I compete in such a way that I want to do everything I can not to go down the wrong path. We wouldn't wouldn't think the Christian life ought to be, you know, often we think the Christian life ought to be so easy. And yet God never said that. Paul says, I'm competing in this life to give my body completely and fully to him. 1 Timothy 4, 8 says, but bodily discipline profit a little, but godliness is profitable for all things. We need to invest our, our time and energy in that which will draw us closer to him. And that's acceptable to him. But he says, not only do I want a living sacrifice and a holy sacrifice and an acceptable sacrifice, I, I, I want you to give me this as an act of spiritual service. I want you to understand the result of this is I, I, want, I want to take the car out of the garage. Have you ever read about you know, athletes who are making millions and millions of dollars a year or, or rock stars or some, someone in the media, whether it be television or, or movies, and, and they come to the point where you know, they build these gigantic homes. There's nothing wrong with having a gigantic home, but, but they, they decided they want to buy every car imaginable. You know, they have 15 to 20 high-end cars. And then sometimes they'll be interviewed and they'll ask them, well, how often do you drive these cars? Well, I really only drive two or three of them. The rest, they just stay in the garage. Why would anyone buy a high-performance car and never take it out of the garage? And we need to recognize when God wants us to give our body to him in a living way, in a holy way, in an acceptable way, the result of that, he says, now I want you to Use this as an opportunity to serve me. He says, which is your spiritual act of worship. It'd be like not having, you know, like here, and going through restoring this car and and make it better than new. If if it was never used, what would be the use for that? Jesus put it this way. It's like having a light and putting what over it? A bushel. So it's a a light turned on, but no one can see it. God wants us to serve him. He's given every one of us gifts and abilities and talents, and we have to ask ourselves the question, what am I doing with what God has given me? Romans 12, 6 says, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us exercises them accordingly. That's right after this passage. Now as you give yourself to me, now serve me. 1 Peter says everyone has a gift. Luke 10, Mark, Luke 10, actually it's Mark, 1045 says for even the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and give his life a ransom for many 
are any of you OCD about certain things, you know, kind of overly compulsive disorder? I mean, certain th- you just got to do certain things. I'm kind of that way with lights, okay, in our house. It, you know, if I have a light fixture, you know, that doesn't work, or, and particularly, it usually doesn't work because the light bulb went out. Okay, I mean, I, we got to fix that because why, why should you have a light fixture if you, when you turn on the switch, it won't give you any light? And so that, I discovered uh, yesterday that we have in our, our house, we have a one-story house, but there's kind of a vaulted ceiling, okay? And I was there, I was doing something early in the morning, I had to come down here for a variety of different things, and I turn on the light, and all of a sudden, pop! You know, there's kind of like, I don't know what you call them, they're, they're not theater lights, but there's a kind of the recessed light ray, ray up high. And it was the one that the closest to the, the ceiling, I mean the very top of the apex of it, and so I go, oh man, it, it bothers me, that light won't go on. So when I got back late last night, I, uh, I don't have a ladder tall enough to get to it, and so I go out into my patio, and I, I, um, and I got uh, two benches, and, and then I put a, 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 you guys are shaking your head at me like I shouldn't be doing this, so then I put a ladder on top of these benches, you know, and then I, then I got on the ladder, and you know that part of the, it's, I think it's an eight, I have an eight-foot ladder, so it was on some benches about, you know, four feet off the ground, and uh, look at, I was a safety first, Alice was holding the ladder when I was on it, okay, so I get up on the ladder, and you know that, that part where they say don't stand on, so then I stand on the very top of the ladder, stretch as far as I can, and unscrew the light bulb, and then screw a new one in. Now, you can see I, I'm, I'm still clothed and somewhat in my right mind, okay, so I didn't fall. But why did I do that? Well, I'm a little kind of OCD, but part of it is I go, why have a light fixture when you can't get any light out of it? And, and so as God says, okay, I want to change you in a living way, in a holy way, in an acceptable way, but in a serving way. I, I want you now get the car out of the garage, get the light out into the world. I want you to use your life in such a way that, that people can see Jesus in me. Let's, let's flip the switch and let the light shine. And, and, and that's the whole purpose of transformation. It's not simply to put something on a pedestal. Oh, doesn't this, look, this car look good? Or doesn't this person really look good? No, it's for people to see Jesus in us. So what's the point this morning? God changes us on the inside... So then we can give to him on the outside, and then others can receive it as well. Let's pray. Father, help us to let our light shine. Help us as you repair us from the inside that now shows on the outside. Help us to find ways to serve you. It might be different than the person next to us. It would be with different people, but help us to be a, an agent of blessing to others. And help us to do it so that that people can see the, the great work that God does in our lives. Never, never do we come to the point of perfection, but as we're in the right direction, then people can see that we have a big God that can change people. Thank you for the changes you made in us and the changes you will make as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning. And if you'd like-